Welcome to the Parent University Podcast. Parent University is a monthly training seminar for parents of teenagers here at Perimeter Church. It is our desire to come alongside families by equipping them to lead their children in a biblical, God-honoring way. We hope you enjoy the following talk. Sounds like how they see the world, and we want them to grow up with a biblical world and life view so that they interpret all things through the um, prism of how God sees the world, right? Ultimately, that would be what I think most of us as Christian parents would desire, is that they would see the world the way, the way that God does. And, you know, the Bible kind of takes for granted that we are doing this um, all the time. Remember, we, and I, and I know I bring this verse up almost every single time, but the fact that we are supposed to be instructing our children as we rise up, as we walk along the road, as we sit at home, and as we lie down, that passage, I could use it every week in Parent U, and I prob- every month, and I probably will use it every month, because it is so apropos to what we're talking about. We have to be on guard and intentional and instructing them all the time. And so really the goal today is to remind you that that worldview is being formed and for us to think about intentionally how are we interacting with that, okay? And we're going to look at some things. I've, I've come up, I don't know if I've shared this before in here. This is an analogy that I've been playing around with lately, and I've shared it in several different venues uh, as I talk to youth leaders and things. But I kind of look at um, raising children a lot, and, and in ministry, I definitely see things this way, as uh, you know, we're trying to form them, and God gave me this picture of just cement, okay? Like, like you have a big pan of cement that we're, you're playing in, okay? And as you and I invest in our kids, especially when they're little, to me, it's a lot like wet cement, okay? Because, and the reason I say that isn't that what you're doing then isn't important, because it obviously is, but you don't get a lot of feedback about what's landing, you know? I think you invest and you instruct and everything, and they're not sitting down going, well, let's really talk about that, Dad. I don't know that I understand this concept. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of it is do this, don't do that, you know, and then we watch their behavior. But what's really happening inside their brains and what's forming? And so it's kind of like we're forming this person and then it drops, when we let go, it drops right back into the pan, right? And, and it's, it's so wet. And I think the things that we're pouring into that concrete make it harder and make it more durable. And, you know, and we're investing and investing, Okay. Now, when you get into the junior high years, I think we start to form that person, and when you let go of the skeleton, you know, if you're building this person and you're investing, the skeleton kind of stays there, and you can see the form, the basic form, and you start to, that's when your kids are really starting to think for themselves, right? They're starting to have their own opinions, and that's one of the things that's so shocking to us as parents. They hit the junior high years, and suddenly we're like, who changed my kid? And there is a lot of changes that are happening, but some of it is they have to, they're becoming their own person and developing their own ideas. And when they're little, a lot of times they're just happy to take our ideas, right? But now that they're becoming their own person, they have to do that on their own. And that's a part of the developmental process. So they, they start to give us feedback uh, and they start to, you know, the, the, the whole thing starts to, to form and the attitudes and we start to see that. Now the high school years, and of course this is the, the age I work with the most, that is the years where you really can start to, they're, they're really becoming who they're going to be. And, and, you know, things are starting to form, their ideas, attitudes, th- things like that are really coming in, but they're still pliable. I love it that, you know, you can, I have seen this a hundred times with high school students over 20 years of ministry, that they, they can be heading in one direction 
and within six months' time, they can be heading 180 degrees in the opposite direction. And I tend to see it, and it goes both ways, unfortunately, though, right? That, that pliability, they can be doing awesome, and it's seem, you know, seeming, and then, whoa, you know, and, and turn the corner. But they can also be going in a really bad direction and then have an experience and go 180 degrees the other way. And that's one of the, the great things about uh, your student when they're, when they're in these years, okay? Then I feel like after that, they go on, they move on to college, and they're putting the finishing touches. You know, the, the college people are just, and of course, you know, I've, I've mentioned that many times that the, the college RUF and campus outreach directors, they get all the credit for your kid's spirituality. They're going to go do their wedding, and everybody thinks they're awesome because they get to put the, the final coat of paint and the, and the finishing touches on there. And they are awesome. That, I'm not meaning to... I, I give Clint Watson a, a hard time, the campus outreach director for Georgia, because they get to take all the credit for all the work that we do, the high school, high school ministry people. But, um, but they're investing, and, they're, and the, it's really solidifying. And that's the thing. They put the final touches on, and then it's like the concrete dries, and we get into our patterns, right? And now the, the, the negative thing about that, I think, for senior pastors and people who work primarily with adults is in order to change somebody, once they're, they've kind of set in their ways, you got to have a sledgehammer, right, to do the work. And that's the thing. Uh, a lot of senior pastors tell me that it just breaks their heart because there's so much has to, you know, people have to be broken again as adults in order to change. And, and they don't when they're kids. They, I mean, they, there is a level of brokenness, don't get me wrong, but there's, because they're still forming, I think there's a lot of pliability there. And there's just not with, with grown-ups. We get into our patterns, right? And we're good at hiding our sin, and we're good at, at going in one direction. And so, you know, these are some of the things that, that as we are investing in our kids, let's celebrate the awesomeness that they're forming right now. And then let's be intentional about the way we work with them. And that's, again, what I don't want us to miss out on. Even Luke uh, chapter 2 says this, uh, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. I think that is just an amazing verse that talks about Jesus growing in wisdom and, and stature. Uh, he was, this verse comes right after, you remember when he, when he leaves his, his parents and hangs out in the temple for three days and they can't find him? And, and that's, that's right where this verse comes, is Jesus is saying, well, I'm in my father's house, you know, and then he's just growing in wisdom and knowledge. And that's part of his humanity, right? He, was, he wasn't gonna grow in his deity, and how he's fully God and fully man, I, I, don't, I can't explain all of that. But it is amazing that, you know, we have this little verse that's just a mystery here, that even Jesus was growing um, in wisdom and stature as a teenager. Um, so there's big things happening in your kids. They, their little brains, although they're not little anymore when they're teenagers, right? But their brains are like computers, and they are inputting all the time. They're always inputting. Whether, and... and what I want us to be aware of and continually to remind you, and it reminds me as I prepare for these things, is how intentional are we with those inputs? And are we constantly helping them interpret the data? Let me say that again. We can't control, just like Cammie said, they're at school all day, they're outside of our control, they're doing different things, and they're getting all this data no matter what. They're getting data we like, and they're getting data we don't like. But how are we being intentional in helping them interpret the data? That's the thing that I want you to think about. How intentional are we in doing that? Um, 
the, uh, if we, I want to take a look at an Old Testament story. We talked about David uh, last month. And this one, well, let's look at, at David's grandson um, from 2 Chronicles 10. Um, and if you don't know this story, uh, Rehoboam, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but uh, Rehoboam was Solomon's son. Now, many of you already are knowing where I'm going with this. Solomon's son uh, took over the throne from when Solomon died. And this, this story in, in 2 Chronicles 10 tells this. When he first, his dad dies, and he goes, and he stands before the people, and they say this, the, um, the people come to him, and they say, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And he said to them, come to me in three days. And so the people went away. All right, so this sets the scene uh, for this, this story. Solomon did amazing things, right? The kingdom grew like crazy. He built all kinds of gardens, and he built the temple, which was huge, and he taxed the people. And probably when the temple was, was done, he, he probably said, well, wow, I got this whole system going. I've got all these taxes coming in. Let's just build roads, and let's, you know. So he, he just kept on going, and the people said, we're tired. And they went to, to Rehoboam and said, we, we need some relief. And he said, well, this is the sun. Okay, I'll get back to you. So he took counsel with his, the older men, Okay, so Rehoboam goes, and he goes to his dad's counselors, right? And you can just see him sitting around the table with all these gray beards, and he is saying, all right, guys, what do you think we should do? And they, of course, gave him this advice. They said to him, if you will be good to these people and please them and speak good words to them, then they'll be your servants forever. Now, verse 8 is interesting. Right after that, it says, but he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him. Okay, right off the bat, he just, he did not think that that was the way he was going to go. And what does he do? He assembles all the young guys, the young bucks who grew up in the court with him. These are his friends. These are his, this is his posse, right? These are the guys that he's been hanging out with. So he gets with them and he says, what do you guys think I should do? And they're like, well, if your dad was great and he put this burden on him, you're going to be even greater and you, you can do it. And, and the way they put it is, is they said, that here's how he should speak to the people. My little finger is thicker than my father's thigh. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. All right, that's a winning strategy, right? If you're taking over the kingdom. Um, verse 19, I skip ahead to that. And he says, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. All right, now I think that is interesting. Uh, if you, the, the big picture historical aspect of that is David you know, brought all 12 tribes together. Uh, their, their, their land expanded. Solomon then took over, built the temple. The 12 tribes was rocking and rolling, really, with, under Saul, under David, and then under Solomon. Solomon's son, so just three kings into it, Solomon's son says this boneheaded thing to all the people, and 10 tribes say, we're out of here. Okay, Benjamin and Judah stayed together, and that became the southern kingdom. If you read First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, the whole rest of it, you have two kingdoms. Israel, which is the top 10 kingdoms, is referred to as Israel from then on, and Judah and Benjamin, they just simply call Judah. Okay, and when you're reading the history, it's fascinating. Now you have two kings, and it goes that way for hundreds of years after that. 
okay, all the way. Uh, the Samaritans come out of that top kingdom when you're reading in the New Testament, and Jesus, and they're referring to Samaritans, the Samaritans became a blended people because they were captured by Assyria and intermingled and mixed their bloodlines. So you have all this great history that all comes from this decision, okay? Now, this has always kind of bothered me. Uh, where did Rehoboam get his worldview? Why was it so easy for him just to throw off the counsel of the older guys and, and blow that off? Uh, I can't help but think that Solomon may not have been the most attentive dad in the world. Now, this is, this is purely speculation on my part, but he had a thousand wives and concubines. Okay? A thousand wives and concubines, and I think he was probably pretty busy with them, right? You see there, he's living up the good life while his kids are just, you know, doing their own thing. Um, and I, I don't know that to be the case, but I think... There's no way he could have spent a ton of time <laughs> investing in all his kids, running the kingdom, doing the things that he was doing, uh, and at the same time uh, instructing his, his son. Um, it's crazy to me even that Solomon predicted what happened uh, in Ecclesiastes 2. It says this, Solomon said, I hated all the toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. See, he, probably, he wouldn't be a Christian because Solomon called him a fool right there. Um, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. Okay, so even Solomon kind of saw, maybe he saw the handwriting on the wall as he watched his son grow up and said, I don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, of course, you know, we, we don't know, again, uh, uh, exactly how that's going to work, but he saw this happening with other people that he saw pass away and what their kids did, and, and I think he knew that. That was possible for him. So even if you do the right thing and are investing in your world, the kids' worldview, obviously they can, they can rebel against it. So we don't want to say, and, and we'll talk more about that here at the end, but what are the things that are affecting your child's worldview? Think about where they're gaining this worldview. Where are they, are they getting it? Um, one of the things, uh, through school, okay, through different school choices that you make, right? You may be in public school, private, homeschool. All of us are in different realms in that. And, and if you've been in here before, you know, and I've done a Parent You on school choice, which gives strengths and weaknesses of each choice, and it's on the podcast if you want to check that out. But, but we have to be careful. Sometimes because of the school choice we choose, we kind of think we're good to go with that, you know? Like, I mean, just a, a simple example I can give you is if, you, if you're paying big money to put your kids in a private Christian school, for example, you might think, oh, well, they're getting the right worldview that I want. And they are getting some Bible knowledge and head knowledge, but remember, they're, it's, they're a little weaker on the practice because they're not seeing, uh, uh, they don't necessarily, they feel like everyone around them is a Christian. And so they, they don't, really feel like they need to go out on a limb. So there's a weakness in that, even in that choice. Or maybe they're learning things about materialism that are completely the opposite of what we want them to learn, right? They're around all these, all these other wealthy kids, and so that comes with its own uh, different part of worldview. So like, again, if you're, and the reason we, I talk about that is because if your kids are in that environment, know what that weakness is and how are you instructing 
Have you talked to your kids about materialism if they're in that environment? Or even worldview-wise, some of us, because I was thinking about this too, some of us grew up without any money, okay? And you developed a work ethic and a worldview based on that, right? And now, though, because of the success God has given you, you might be doing pretty well, which is fantastic. But then you may wonder, well, how come my kids don't have the same worldview that I have when it concerns money? Well, if you grew up poor, thinking how that shaped you, and now your kids are growing up wealthy, you've got to be more intentional about imparting that worldview to them and how they're going to develop their way they, they look at money. Okay, so just... Uh, again, my job in Parent You is to get us to think and, and think about where, how things are going. Their friends are clearly shaping their worldview, right? The way they interact with their friends uh, at church or the Bible is affecting their worldview. Media, TV, books, movies, all of these things are, um, are shaping the worldview. And so, you know, one of the things as I think about when it comes to how do we do this? So how, how do we take what's going on now and be intentional? And, and what I always want to encourage you to do is what I, that passage, right, from Deuteronomy. Do it when you're rising up, when you're walking along the road, when you sit at home, and when you lay down. We need to be doing it all the time, and that's difficult for us to do. And I want us to take the way that Jesus did it, okay? In some ways, Jesus would often take what was happening around him. He would say, right, to the people he's walking along with, consider the birds, right? They'd see a bird, and he would take the bird and then use that, and, and kind of go through uh, a, a moment. Well, we don't have, I think if you said consider the birds to your kids, they might, it, it might lose something. They would be like, really, mom? Yeah, I mean, it's not. But what if we said consider Miley Cyrus? Okay, are your kids aware of Miley right now? Everyone's aware of Miley right now, okay? Uh, probably if your kids were aware of her five years ago because she was Hannah Montana and she was everybody's hero, right? It was kind of pretty wholesome TV, she was kind of like the Lucille Ball of the Disney Channel just five or six years ago. And now, with what she's doing, okay, it's a fantastic thing to talk about. So, when I, taking things from culture and bringing the Bible to bear on it is a, is a great thing to do. And we just need to be intentional and, and ask questions. Like for Miley Cyrus, we could say, What do you think about her? You know, rather than us kind of go on a rant, which would be my tendency, right? Is to, to want to rant right away, but ask your child, hey, what do you think about Miley and what she's doing? You might gain a lot of insight from what your kids, what's really going on in here, right, and in here as you listen to what, what they have to say. Um, then you can say, well, what did you think about her five years ago, okay? And what do you think is driving what she does right now? Okay, that'd be a good question to ask. You know, don't Try not to ask just the yes or no questions. Try to pull out of them. What do you think's driving that? And then we want to make it go from, from her to them. Do you think her friends, her agent, her parents have an influence on her current direction? And gets, what does your child think about that? How much influence do you think your friends have on how you behave? You see, it's, we just talked, we start out with something in the world which everybody's talking about. So they have an opinion, right? There, there is an opinion about what's going on. And then we move it to a deeper level. Let's get under the surface of, instead of just being repulsed by what's happening, let's try to think about why it's happening. And then could that happen to you? Or what are the influences in you that are keeping that from happening or 
promoting that. And see, you can just suddenly take this into, A, you have a better understanding of your child. You're actually interacting when you're not instructing and, and you're listening. You're gaining information and it allows you to just also talk because Miley's kind of safe to talk about, right? Sometimes when we're talking to our kids and we're focused on them, <laughs> you know, and they got the target and they get tired of that. But we can instruct them while we talk about Miley. Does that make sense? And take that and, and use that. Um, now, we can also go the other way around, right? Sometimes, and this is really even when a preacher approaches a sermon, it's the same way, right? We can take a subject matter and, like, I can take the world and bring the Bible to bear, or I can take the Bible and apply it to the world. The other day, I was having my quiet time. Remember I told you we want our kids to catch us having our quiet time. That's a good thing. Don't always go into a closet. Uh, you want to be around your kids reading the Bible so they know you actually read it. And I was having my quiet time in the living room, and my son Jace was in there, and I happened to read, uh, second, I was reading through Second Thessalonians. And chapter 3.10 says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Okay? And I just stopped, and Jace is there, and I said, Hey. And I read that verse to him. And I said, Let's dialogue about this for a minute. Now think about the different directions I could go with that verse, that former worldview, right? I could talk about work ethic, right? It's right there in the scripture. I could talk about politics. I could talk about poverty. I could talk about communism and socialism. I could talk about free market. I could talk about compassion, right? There are so many different angles that I can go to just with this simple verse and the context of it, right? That whole context I could have read, and we could, I could spend the whole time teaching just on that context of that verse about Paul not wanting to be a burden and about. And there's so much the Bible has to say about these things. So you can go from the Bible to that, but sometimes I think for us that's difficult to do, right? To to say, okay, we're, you know, sit down, we're having Bible time, and that's hard to make it fun and engaging and interesting, you know, but, but if you're just doing it in the context of what God's teaching you anyway, it's easier, right? Sharing with your kids, hey, here's what's going on with me. I'm, I read this this morning. Isn't this amazing? Let the wonder that you feel as you're interacting with the Word be shared with your kids, and then show them how applicable it is to life. That's what we're trying to do. Now, how, how can we do this? When do we, when we have these conversations? You can do it when you're doing yard work, when you're raking leaves, right? Fall's coming. Your, your yard's going to be covered in leaves. You can go out there and talk about work ethic while you rake leaves and talk about stewardship, right? You could do that. Or it doesn't have to be. You could talk about anything. Uh, you can do it when you're painting a room, when you're having coffee time. And we have this thing at our house called morning coffee time and where we just sit around and drink coffee on Saturday morning and talk for two hours. And, of course, Cammy and I are super verbal, and that's easy for us to do. And now our kids are following that, and we don't get anything done. And it's kind of annoying sometimes because we never get anything done because we just want to sit around and talk. But you can do that. Uh, car time, we all have tons of time in the car, right, with our kids. And, and that is a time when you can, when you can do this. Um, when you're waiting at the doctor's office, okay, if you're sitting with your kids in the waiting room, like I was just with two of my kids in the waiting room this week, and we're in the, in the doctor's office. And here's the thing that's so hard about this. All of these examples I can use is I want to be selfish. It is so easy for me when I'm in the car with a car full of kids to listen to talk radio or sports talk, okay, and let them do their thing and I'm going to do my thing. 
It is so easy for me to play scramble with friends or whatever on my iPhone when I'm waiting in the waiting room and let them fend for themselves. And I have those opportunities to engage with my kids when I'm in those environments and use that time. And it's so easy for me to go right to the, you know, whatever phone I have or radio or anything and be distracted and waste that time. And it's a piece of cake. You can pause the DVR. Now, it will annoy them after a while, okay? I use this one all the time, and my, my kids now just start giving me this, you know, look like when I pause the DVR. Because, but I know there's a worldview that it, they're gaining. Like we're watching a show, and there's a homosexual character on a TV show, and I will pause and go, we got to talk about this, because they're just acting like this is normal, and that, what do you think about this? And so I'll stop, and I talk. And they're used to it. It takes forever to get through shows sometimes because anytime I see a worldview going off, I just I stop and I say, what's happening here? Use the things that we have at our disposal, though, is my point as you go along. Um, and over dinner, and now when I was growing up, that was our thing. We ate dinner at least on Sundays together, and I, I just remember talking about life. And it was great. It was one of my fondest memories. But I know my parents were instructing me while we had dinner together. And um, I think that's hard for us. If you're like me, there's a lot of times you go a whole week and maybe have one time you eat together because of all the practices and all the different things. And so we have to be intentional. Um, when we're distracted, when I want to listen to the radio or play scramble with friends or check my email, when I have a moment and I'm with my child, what does that communicate to my child? We've got to be careful about that too because it communicates that they're not really that important and that we don't really want to know them. We have to be careful there, okay? Because that's, that's the thing that we all can fall into that trap of we then can do that and then, then when we, something's going wrong and the wheels come off and then we want to engage, they're like, you know, you've pretty much shown me all along that I'm not that important to you. So we have to be careful about those cues that we're sending them uh, by the way we communicate with them. I want to remind you, don't make them your project. Ask them questions. Be interested in what they think before you share. That's one of the key things. Draw them out and ask questions, even whether you're talking about Scripture or whether you're talking about the world. Wherever you start, the launching off point, ask them, what do you think about this? And get them to start thinking, because again, we want to teach them to think as they're developing this worldview. Uh, I want to close with this. Uh, even this passage of, of Rehoboam, um, what's interesting, if you read that story, if you go back a little bit in the context again of Rehoboam, God told Solomon that he was going to take the kingdom from his son. Uh, he didn't say, I'm going to take the kingdom from your son because of Rehoboam. He said, I'm going to take it from, from your progeny because you have followed after other gods with all your wives. And you've, you've turned away from me. And so we can say, okay, in the providence of God, Rehoboam, he, he had no choice about what he did. Now, that's the crazy thing about the Bible. And I'm, I teach TFL to the students. And one of the things we're constantly talking about is, is God 100% in control? Yes. Does he control all things that happen? Absolutely. Um, is he the author of sin, though? No. Do, are, do we have consequences for our own actions? Yes. Okay, how those things happen in the same thing is, is a mystery. 
how God can be in control and yet our actions have consequences. And I cling to God's providence though, even in my parenting, because uh, when maybe I do things wrong and God can still come in and change and, and make a change in, in, in what happens, okay? So don't feel like, remember that God is working and we're working and he uses even our mistakes to shape our kids. Um, in positive ways and, and in good ways. One thing, even just from my own life, I think about, and this, is, this isn't really a, a sin issue, but when we were talking at the beginning about education, um, you know, I grew up in a home where education wasn't valued at all. Um, my, my parents don't have degrees. None of my brothers and sisters have degrees. I'm the only one in my family, in my immediate family, that has a college degree. And then I have a master's degree, and my wife's the same way. So Cammie and I, both have master's degrees, both come from families where no one has a degree, and nobody really cared about it. So how did we end up getting master's degrees? It doesn't even make sense in a way, but God's providence, somewhere along the line, he gave us a worldview that valued that and worked in that and through that in spite of what our parents did. And again, not, if we hadn't got degrees, there's nothing wrong with that. God, God can use, you know, uses and works in different ways. But I'm, I'm just trying to point out that he is at work too, and we have to cling to that uh, even as we're parenting, all right? So main point for today, again, is your kids are forming a worldview. You don't control everything about that, obviously, but are you engaged in helping them interpret the data that they're inputting? Because I promise you the world is trying to help them interpret it. The world is painting a picture for them every day and it doesn't even matter how sheltered your kids are, they're getting it, okay? They're getting that worldview imprinted on them in every advertisement, in every TV show, in the way their friends talk, in the way you talk, in the things you do, in the things you don't do. So let's just draw them out and find out what's happening, and then let's try to speak in what the Bible has to say into their lives, all right? Uh, let me say a word of prayer, and... Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you, and we know that this, this worldview is taking shape uh, in our kids' lives, and um, Lord, we need you. Uh, we need to be intentional, but it's hard because we're tired, and we're busy. We are busy, tired people, but that also means, Lord, we're distracted people, and it is so easy for me to focus on everything but my child, and that goes for the little ones and my teenager. And so we need you to be at work in me. Help me not to lose those moments that are formative. Help me not to lose those moments where I can share and instruct and gently guide and do it in a way, Lord, that uh, gets their attention, that is fun, that is uh, interactive. Um, Lord, the only one who can parent my kids is me. And you've called me to do that. And so there are things that you want me to teach them, and I pray you give me wisdom uh, and Cami, as we do that in our own lives, and be with all these parents, Lord, and bless them this week. Help them to have some great conversations with their teens about anything that's going on in the world, and that they would then be able to instruct and mold and shape, uh, Lord, not from our own wisdom, but from yours, that you would fill us with your spirit as parents, because as Cami said, we need a Savior every day, even as we interact with our kids. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
You've been listening to the Parent University Podcast. Parent U is a part of the student ministries at Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit the Student Ministries website at www.perimeter.org slash students for more information. Thank you.